0: So given uh, the tragedies of the past couple of weeks, it is not a major thing, but last week tens of thousands of residents of Southern California found themselves without cable, internet, and landline telephone service when Spectrum fiber optic cables were destroyed by the Woolsey and Hill Fires. I'm just curious how many of you were without internet for a day, and didn't you suffer? <laughs> uh, you know, It's a, a little lesson, though. You know, communications technology only works when we're connected to it. And I think something, something similar is true. Something similar can be said. Something similar but uh, far more important holds true for followers of Jesus Christ, and that is if we lose our heart connection with Jesus. We may still have the appearance, we may still have the outward form of faith, but we have lost its vital source and its center. We just go through the motions. In in today's text, which features the seventh and the last of the great I Am sayings in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus makes this point with um, uh, using an illustration that would apply to every culture in all times and all places. He uses an agricultural image to make this point of how important it is to stay connected to him when he says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It is Thursday night of Passion Week, what we celebrate now as Holy Week. Jesus and his disciples have been in the upper room. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and has used that as an illustration for servant leadership, knowing that he's going to be entrusting uh, the church that's about to come into being to their stewardship and care. They've had one final meal together. It's a celebration of uh, Passover, Seder service. And we call it the Last Supper, and after he shares some further teaching with his followers, last week we saw part of that, I'm the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says, come now, let us leave. As he prepares to walk with them to Gethsemane, where he will pray with such intensity that Uh, drops of, of blood fall from his forehead as his disciples sleep until Judas comes to betray him with a kiss. The following day, of course, he is to be crucified. I mention all of this to give us a little bit of context. Jesus doesn't have much time left with his disciples and with so little time left, what does Jesus choose to talk about? What does Jesus choose to teach them as they walk along together? He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. It's interesting, Jesus calls himself the vine, but he also calls himself the true vine. And and the question is, what does he mean by the true vine? And what would have have prompted Jesus to be talking about vines while they're walking basically through the streets of Jerusalem on their way to Gethsemane? One of the things I want to point out as we we look at this verse together is just as Jesus didn't call himself um, some bread of, of life, he didn't call himself a light to the world, he didn't call himself a way or a truth, Jesus doesn't say that he is a vine. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even say the vine and leave it with that. He says, I am the true vine. And it's not the first time in the Gospel of John that we see that word used. Uh, true. In John 1 9, Jesus is called the true light. While Jesus identifies uh, himself, as we saw in one of the earlier I am say, statements in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the true bread from heaven. The manna which God gave to the people of Israel in uh, in the wilderness on, as they left uh, Egypt on their way to the promised land. It's kind of a, a symbol and a sign pointing forward to the real, he- the, the real bread, the true bread from heaven that would come to us through Jesus Christ. But, but why does he ca- call himself the true vine? It ca- kind of implies that uh, there's another vine with which he's contrasting himself. Um, let, let me just say this about, um, about vines and vineyards in, in general uh, in the ancient Near Eastern world. The cultivation of vineyards was really crucial to the life and economy of ancient Israel. It, it plays a small part of our economy, of course, in, in uh, Southern California, in, in California, but uh, in ancient Israel, it was, it was a vital, important part of the economy. But even more than that, the vine was a really well-known symbol. It was a well-known symbol for the Jewish people. And we find this all throughout uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament. Uh, a really great verse that, that uh, identifies Israel as such is Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, where the prophet says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. That's pretty clear. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. We find that uh, image and that that theme woven throughout the Old Testament. Uh, By the way, uh, one of the most beautiful ornaments on the temple of the Lord, drawing from from this uh, imagery from the Hebrew Scriptures, one of the most beautiful ornaments uh, on the temple of the Lord was a, a golden vine, with a cluster of grapes as large as a man, pictured here. And it may well have been the case that Jesus and his disciples were passing by this when Jesus spoke those words. It makes sense. You know, just as in the Sermon on the Mount when he's on a hillside and he says, consider the lilies of the field and God cares for the sparrows, all this kind of stuff, as they're walking by this vine for him to say, you know, I'm the true vine. Now, the people of Israel took uh, incredible pride in seeing themselves as the vineyard of the Lord. But, as Isaiah chapter 5, as Psalm 80, as other texts tell us, they, they failed at living up to their high calling. They failed as the vine of the Lord God Almighty, the vineyard of the Lord God Almighty. They failed to live as a holy people set Apart, And so, God says, through the prophet Jeremiah, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt, wild vine? You see what the contrast that Jesus is making here? Centuries later, in, in Jesus' own day, things we're we're really just as bad, and, and arguably worse. Because now, under uh, the the religious leadership of the scribes and the Pharisees, and and under the civil uh, leadership of of the uh, political leaders whom uh, the Roman Empire had put in place, things were were really bad. It's in that context that Jesus declares in contrast in, in John 15, one, he's the true vine. Because Jesus faithfully fulfills in his ministry the vocation that Israel had failed at. Jesus faithfully fulfilled in his own ministry the, the vocation that, that Israel had fatally failed at. He identifies himself then as the true vine vine. He says that his father is the gardener, and then he says that his followers are the branches. I'm the true vine. My father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, as we Read today's text. It it should be really clear, and I know in a certain sense I'm stating the obvious, but it's because I really want to tease out the truth that we find in here. It's really clear from today's text that the purpose of the branches is to do what? It's to bear fruit. It's to bear fruit. Branches that aren't fruitful and are just allowed to grow without being dealt with without being addressed, those uh, unfruitful branches rob the fruit-bearing branches of the nutrients that they need to bear the best fruit. That's why grape growers, usually in late winter, early spring, prune their vines. And what's pruning? It's selectively removing parts of the plant for a purpose to increase both the yield and the quality of the fruit by the way in retirement i plan to do more firsthand research on this very topic as (laughs) peg and i have a little more time to uh, uh, spend together Uh, speaking of peg there's there's an old hymn that i remember peg's dad used to to sing in this uh really beautiful deep baritone uh, voice that he had his eye is on the sparrow anybody know that one it's an old old hymn yeah um the chorus goes i sing because i'm happy i sing because i'm free his eye is on the sparrow and i know he watches me now that's that's borrowed the the imagery of course borrowed from the sermon on the mount where jesus is talking about consider the the birds of uh, of the air and how uh, the, the Lord watches over them and so on. In today's text, Jesus, uh, using this image of God as the gardener, says that the gardener's eye is on the vines. And he's paying close attention to what's happening with the vines because he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Notice Jesus is talking every branch in me. So he's talking about um, people who identify themselves as his followers. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So here's a picture there's a vine, there is a gardener, and there are branches, and there are actually two kinds of branches. What are they? They're the good branches, and they're the good-for-nothing branches. Um, Let me tell you about good-for-nothing branches. Vinewood is, to use a surfer term, gnarly. Uh, And by the way, it is literally gnarly. That's where we get the, the term. And here's the thing about vinewood, it is useless, it really is useless. You can't build with this stuff because it's gnarly, and it burns too hot, and it burns too fast to use it for firewood. So what's Jesus say about it? Such branches are picked up, and they're just thrown into the fire and burned. They're good for bonfires, that's about it. The good branches, the ones with the potential to produce good fruit then, aren't just left to grow wild. They are pruned. Now, um, Jesus is, is telling this because he, he really is addressing uh, an issue, I think, that, that we experience in our lives, and that is the pruning of God. When he cuts back some stuff in our lives it's kind of painful in some ways but it's really important and one of the things that i think is really important for us to realize whenever we feel like we're undergoing this pruning process is always remember this it is better to be pruned than not it's better to be pruned than cut off and cast away If you're experiencing pruning, it's because God sees you as a branch that's not good for nothing, but it's good and will produce. Pruning is a good thing because it is a sign of life. It is a sign of hope. It is a sign of usefulness. It is a sign of future fruitfulness. Now, this is an absolute certainty. And I say it's an absolute certainty based on the authority of Jesus who teaches it. Every follower of Jesus Christ who is to bear fruit will experience seasons of pruning as God cuts back those spiritually unproductive parts of us so that we can bear more fruit and so that we can bear better fruit. In the future that's important enough that I am going to repeat it every follower of Jesus will experience seasons of pruning as God cuts back the spiritually unproductive parts so that we can bear more fruit and better fruit in the future you know, a lot of us just fill our lives with so much stuff. And we are so busy, and it really keeps us from focusing. God wants us to focus on the things that matter, the things that will bear fruit in our lives. And, and so he prunes us, and that pruning happens in a lot of, of ways. I think sometimes God uses his word to prune us. And you may have had the experience of, of you know, sitting in church and hearing a message and going, man, I feel like that's speaking directly to me. And there's something you know, in your conscience that sort of gets quickened and you decide, I, I need to change. I want to do this different. I want to be a better person. Sometimes all it takes is, is a passage of Scripture, God's Word just kind of speaking directly to us, deep calling unto deep, and that is enough. And God can use that. To prune us and by the way in my judgment that's the best way god prunes us that's the least painful way god prunes us because god will prune us you want to do it the hard way or you can do it the easy way and hear god's word and and, and change sometimes we are pruned through our experiences or our circumstances for instance through a hurt or a heartache a disappointment or a loss, the closing of a door that we had hoped we were going to walk through. Sometimes pruning means living with the painful consequences of a foolish or a disobedient choice, living with the consequences of that. But here's, here's the point. You know, when we go through that experience of pruning, the point of the pruning is not to punish it's to make us more fruitful for as the author of hebrews tells us the lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts so The purpose, let me go back to the main point again. The purpose of the branches is to bear fruit, much fruit, and fruit that will last into eternity, fruit that matters. And that's why God prunes us, and God will prune all those uh, whom he has chosen to bear much fruit. Now, that being said, the branches that bear fruit are those that stay attached to the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there's a lot more in here than you might imagine. Uh, first of all, I just want to mention that that, that word that's translated uh, abide, or if you remain in me, if you stay in me, that word appears. 120 times in the New Testament. It's a Greek word meno. 120 times in the New Testament. A third of those, 40 times, occur in the Gospel of John. 36 in his letters. So almost two-thirds of the, the occurrences of the word remain are in either John's Gospel or John's letters. So important in today's text that that word shows up 10 times in the first 10 verses of John chapter 15. This passage that we're looking at. Jesus, on the night of his arrest, the last opportunity he has to spend with his disciples uses a word and he is drilling it into their hearts and minds. Remain in me. Remain in me. Abide in me. Stay in me. This is important. Remaining, abiding, staying in Christ is the key to being productive and fruitful followers of Jesus. Now, what I am about to say is the big point in this morning's message. If you don't get anything else out of today's message, I want you to lock into this truth. I want you to be sure that you hear me clearly. As you look at what Jesus is saying in today's text, notice what he's commanding of us, what he's asking of us. We are not being commanded to manufacture, or to produce, or to create, or even bear fruit. He doesn't say that, does he? He's not saying, I'm commanding you, produce fruit. Now that's how a lot of us misappropriate the gospel. We think it's about us doing something for God. We're not being commanded here to manufacture, produce, create, or even bear fruit. What are we being commanded to do? Remain in Jesus. That's what he's saying. Stay in me. Stay connected to me. Abide in me. And Jesus says, if we do that, listen to this, this is a a promise. It's another one of Jesus' statement. It's a promise with a premise. The premise is, if you remain in me, it's a conditional staying. If you remain in me, we are promised on the authority of Jesus that if we do that, we will bear much fruit. That's the gospel, the power of Christ working in me as I abide in him, he does the heavy lifting, he does the work, he works in us and works through us and so many of us have, as Christians have gotten this wrong. we think that it 's all about you know us trying harder about spiritual self improvement. you know a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at jesus' statement i 'm the resurrection and the life," we were reminded that he really is the life because the Apostle Paul says, we're dead in our transgressions. What can dead people do for themselves? Nothing. Dead people are incapable of self-improvement. It's only as we abide in Christ who gives us life that we have the power to do anything. And so he says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. John 15.5 is this week's memory verse for a reason. Listen to it. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, Don't miss this. Jesus is making a really exciting promise to each and every one of us. He is saying if you remain in him and if he remains in us, (coughs) we will. It is a certainty. Bear much fruit. And we will bear much fruit not because of who we are. We're dead in our trespasses. But because of who we are when we abide in him, as we abide in him. And by the way, the word abide here doesn't mean you just touch base with him when you need him. It means you live in him all of the time. That's the only way that we're able to bear fruit. It is not because of who we are. It is but because of who we are as we abide in him who is the origin and the source and the wellspring of life. But, and there is a warning in here, the converse is also true. And we need to be vividly aware of this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, I I wonder from time to time how many um, believers, possibly how many entire congregations, have tried to do great things for God as as they've imagined them to be great, or how we have uh, tried to do great things for God and attempting to do that in our own power. And failed at it, having either forgotten or ignored Jesus' words, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we all come up with ideas of how we'd like to see our lives different, our lives improved, the church being, you know, something that oftentimes it's a, a reflection, a kind of a creation in our own image more than anything else because of what our preferences are. We haven't come up with that stuff because we have been abiding in Christ and seeking counsel of the spirit but it's just it's an idea that occurs to us something we want to do on our own this morning I want to encourage everybody who is here today to replace this habit of trying to produce fruit make that happen in your own power with a habit of just staying connected to, to Jesus Christ, you know it's really weird when we we you know come up with these ideas. We try to do stuff on our own power. We think, well, it's not we're not succeeding. Maybe I have to just try harder. Uh, and you know that is the old uh, definition of insanity: doing the same thing over and over again. It's even worse, and trying harder, as you do it over and over again, getting the same results. It's because we're not doing it in the power of Christ. The branches that bear the fruit are the branches that remain, that abide, that stay in Christ and do not leave. That being said, it it follows that Uh, and Jesus says this, that our lives will actually offer evidence of the kind of branches we are. Our lives will show evidence of of the kind of branches we are. What are the two kinds of branches? The good branches and the good-for-nothing ones. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus says, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves, showing yourselves to be my disciples those words showing yourselves to be my disciples that's evidence Evidence evidence-based are there tangible visible recognizable signs in your life that indicate that you are a follower of jesus you know, can, it, can it be said of us as it was said of Peter, you know, surely you are one of them, your accent gives you away. Is there something about our lives that gives us away as being companions with Jesus Christ? In John chapter 15, uh, in the verses following uh, the text that I read this morning, Jesus lays out what some of those kinds of signs might be. You know, one, one sign is uh, our prayer life changes. Because if we abide in Christ, he says, you know, whatever you ask for me will happen. And by the way, that's not a promise about, you know, things that you want magically happening because you ask God to do them. It's because if you abide in Christ, the things that your heart desires and that you'll ask for will be the kinds of things that God wants to grant. Sign of our having Christ, uh, another sign is our having Christ like love for God and for others. You know, I don't know what you were thinking of when you know you hear me talking about when we read Jesus uh, describing the fruit that our, our lives will will bear. You know, maybe we have these ideas of these great things that we're going to accomplish or whatever. But when Jesus talks about the uh, about the fruit, the very first thing practically he mentions is love, and he mentions it over and over again. It's agape love. It's this sacrificial, self-giving love of God that we see demonstrated in the life of Jesus and that we see demonstrated in the lives of those who abide in Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, Jesus says. Now remain. There's that word again. Remain in my love. One sure sign that people are followers of Jesus Christ is the love the sacrificial, self giving, self emptying, agape love of Christ. A- another sign is that we do what Jesus teaches. If you keep my commands, again, this conditional say- statement, a promise with a premise if you keep my commands, you will. Remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, let's be really clear on what Jesus means when he talks about commands. Jesus does not say, if you keep the law. Did you catch that? If you keep the law. That's what the scribes and Pharisees did all the time. That's how they measured um, their value and their worth. That's how they measured other people's value and worth. Jesus doesn't say, if you keep the law, he says, if you keep my commands. You know what? If we're worried about keeping rules, about keeping the law, that inevitably leads to legalism. We forget that we're saved by grace through faith, and this is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. And here's here's the, the spiritual problem with legalism. It's not that um, we, we want to disobey God by, by any means. The problem with legalism and thinking that our relationship with God and our righteousness depends on our keeping the law is it will lead to either self-righteousness or self-condemnation. As we think, oh, I'm keeping the law. I, you know, I must be special. This was the problem with the Pharisees or self-condemnation, I am cut off from God, there is no hope for me. The other problem with, with legalism is, is the way it makes us think about other people. I'm better than them, I'm worse than them. We compare ourselves. The kingdom of heaven isn't about comparing ourselves with other people. If you keep my commands, my commands, Jesus says... What are Jesus' commands? You remember how he answered when he was asked um, by a, a rabbi one day, what is what is the greatest commandment? This was an, a, a thing that uh, used to happen in... in ancient Israel, that that people would interview rabbis and and they'd have kind of some stock questions that they would ask And One of the stock questions was, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus, without hesitation, said, the first and greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, and a second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What are Jesus' commands? Loving God with all all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbors, ourselves. That's one of the fruits. It's a fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul says. If we abide in Christ, you know one of the signs of that is we're just going to love God with all of our hearts. And we're going to start loving other people. We're not going to judge them we're going to love them. If We have problems with people. By the way, if you have problems in a relationship, if you're having a problem in your marriage, you know the best thing you can do is stop judging your spouse and start loving them. You love them. Another sign that we abide in Christ is our having Christ-like joy. And by the way, this isn't one of those put on, you know, phony smile and and all this kind of stuff. It's, a, it's the real thing, a real joy. It's not dependent on what happens to us. That's happiness, what happens to us. It, it's a joy that comes from the confidence and the hope that we have in knowing Christ. I have told you this, Jesus said, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then just so we won't forget what is most important, and so we will not miss the message of the cross. Jesus adds, My command is this. Remember, he says, If you keep my commands, my command is this love each other as I have loved you. This is what Jesus leaves his disciples with on the night of his arrest before he goes to the cross love each other. That was. Uh, one of the things that people outside the early church used to say about people in the early church see how they love one another you know as i prepare for my retirement and think about the interim pastor that's coming the next senior pastor you know what my prayer for you guys is love one another love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love one another love your neighbor as yourself don't forget that love god's mercy and grace is at the heart of the gospel remain in christ it's not about me it's never been about me it's about him remain in him he's not retiring um most of, of you, many of you will, uh, will remember that, um, that really famous experience. It's really uh, kind of the turning point. It is the turning point in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is with his disciples in the northern part of Israel in a place called Caesarea um, Philippi. And it, it's there that he asks a, a really famous question, who do people say that I am? And his disciples answer, well, some, of, some people say that you are uh, John the Baptist and others say you're a prophet and so on. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you know, flesh and blood hasn't, uh, hasn't revealed that to you. God's revealed that to you. You know, I think it's important to you know, re- read that text and, and remember what, you know, who people thought Jesus was. But you know, for me, I'm really interested in what Jesus said about himself and who he said he, he is. And we're told in the Gospel of John and these seven great I am statements of Jesus. I am the name of the Lord. Jesus is the bread of life. The one who sustains us. Who doesn't just address our uh, immediate perceived hungers, but answers our heart's deepest longings. He said, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the one who shines in our darkness. Like the pillar of fire that guided and led the people of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness, Jesus, as the light of the world, is our guide. He said he is the door to the sheepfold. He is the door to that life of blessing that we know is there, that we all long for. There's a way. It's through him. He's the good shepherd, the good shepherd who knows his sheep and who lays down his life for them. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he demonstrates that, showing us through his resurrection on that first Easter morning that he has conquered the powers of sin and death. Which can prompt us to agree in our hearts with the Apostle Paul who said, I am convinced that neither height nor depth, things present, things to come. No power, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, not sin, not death, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The one who reveals Everything that we need to know about God who shows us through his words, through his deeds, and especially through his death on the cross as being raised on the third day by the power of God's love. He reveals all we need to know about God and shows us the way to new life in God. And he is the true vine. The one upon whom we depend not only for life but for the ability to bear fruit that lasts into eternity